Volume Two, Chapters Twenty and Twenty One of A Strange World by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty. The saddest love has some sweet memory. Maurice left London for Didmouth by the mail, accompanied by Mister Pointer, a confidential clerk of Messrs. Wilgross and Harding didmouth was still off the main line and they had to drive seven or eight miles in a jolting little omnibus very low in the roof and by no means luxurious within they reached didmouth too late for anything except supper and bed but they were at the sexton's cottage before eight o'clock next morning and thence repaired to the church with the elderly custodian and his keys in their company the registers were produced and the entry of the marriage found under the date supplied by miss barlow a duly certified copy of this entry being taken by mr pointer in duplicate maurice's mission at didmouth was concluded he parted from mr pointer at the railway station after having endured another hour of the jolting omnibus and while the clerk hastened back to london with one of the two documents maurice went down the line to seacombe with the other he had not been away a week and yet he had established the one fact he most desired to prove justina's right to bear her father's name he could now venture to confide muriel's story to martin or at least so much of it as might be told without reflecting on his dead mother he walked into the old farmhouse at breakfast time next morning after having spent the night at seacombe and across the moors in the autumnal mists of earliest morning not without some hazard of losing his way martin was surprised and delighted what good wind blows you here dear old fellow he cried gladly the best wind that ever blew i think answered maurice mr trevenard had gone about his day's work he had taken to working harder than ever of late martin said so the two young men had the old hall to themselves here maurice told his story martin listening with profound emotion and shedding no unmanly tears at the record of his sister's sorrows my poor mother he sobbed out at last she acted for the best to save the honour of our family but it was hard on muriel and she was sinless all the time a wife free from taint of wrong-doing except that fatal concealment of her marriage then when the first shock was over the young man inquired eagerly about his niece his beloved sister's only child the babe that had been exiled from its birthplace robbed of its name how nobly how wisely how ably you have acted from first to last clissold he exclaimed without your help this tangled web could never have been unravelled but how did it occur to you that miss elgood and my sister's daughter could be one and the same person perhaps it was because i have thought so much more of justina elgood lately than any one else answered maurice and then he went on to confess that his old wound was healed and that he loved justina with a deeper and truer love than he had given the doctor's daughter martin was delighted this would make a new link between himself and his friend maurice's next anxiety was for an interview with old mrs trevenard he wanted to test that aged memory to discover how far the blind grandmother might be relied upon when the time came for laying this family secret before the world mrs trevenard still kept her room she was able to move about a little able to keep watch and ward upon muriel but she preferred the retirement of her own chamber to her old corner in the family sitting-room the place would seem strange to me without bridget she told maurice when he expressed his regret at finding her still in her own room it's not so much the rheumatics that keep me here as the thought of that bridget was all in all in this house 
the old room would seem desolate without her so i just keep by my own bit of fire and knit my stocking and think of old times i dare say your memory is a better one than many young people can boast of said maurice who had taken the empty chair by the fireplace opposite mrs trevenard well i haven't much to complain of in that respect answered the old woman with a sigh i have sometimes thought that it is better for old people when their memories are not quite so strong as mine but then perhaps that's owing to my blindness i have nothing left me but memory i can't see to read not even my bible and i haven't many about me that care to read to me so the past is my book and i'm always reading the saddest chapters in it it's a pity providence has made us so that our minds dwell longest on sorrowful things maurice related his discovery gently and with some preparation to muriel's grandmother when she heard that muriel was sinless that her marriage with george penwin was an established fact the blind woman lifted up her voice in thanksgiving to her god i always thought as much she said after that first outpouring of prayer and praise i always thought my poor lamb was innocent but bridget would not have it so bridget hugged the notion of our wrong she was always talking of god's vengeance on the wrong-doer and when he met with that cruel death she declared that it was a judgment forgetting that the judgment fell heaviest on our poor muriel they talked long and earnestly of the hapless daughter of the house maurice confiding unreservedly in mrs trevenard who evinced a shrewd sense that filled him with hope old and blind though she was this was not a witness to be browbeaten by a cross-examining counsel should the issue ever be tried in a court of justice now from what we know and from what happened to me on the first night i ever spent in this house said maurice it is clear to my mind that your granddaughter and her husband were in the habit of meeting secretly in the room at the end of the corridor at night when every one else in the house was asleep he went on to describe his first night at borcelend muriel watching at the open window and treating her lover to come back to her did not this conduct indicate that captain penwin had been in the habit of entering the house secretly by that window its height was little over eight feet from the ground and the ivy-clad wall would have been easy enough for any active young man to climb to say nothing of the ledge and projecting masonry of the low window which made the ascent still easier my idea is this said maurice your poor granddaughter's instinct takes her to that room whenever she is free to ramble about the house at night when all is still and she has no fear of interruption for her that room is haunted by sad and sweet memories what more likely than that if free to go there nightly she would in the self-communion of a wandering mind reveal more of the past than we have yet learned act over again her meetings with her lover say over again the old words will you leave her free to wander to-night if the fancy seizes her i will lie down in my clothes and keep watch ready to listen or to follow her if need be the moon is nearly at the full and the night will be bright enough to tempt her to wander will you let it be so mrs trevenard i don't see that any harm could come of it answered the old woman dubiously she is reasonable enough in her way and i have never known her to attempt to do herself a mischief but as to what she can reveal in her wild wandering talk i don't see myself how that can be of any good perhaps not it is only a fancy of mine at best but i shall be pleased if you will indulge it i shall not be here more than two or three nights i will leave my door unlocked on those nights said mrs trevenard 
but i shall not have much rest while that poor child is wandering about to the grandmother to whom the past was more real than the present muriel was still the girl of eighteen newly returned from school the rest of the day was spent quietly enough by maurice and martin in a ramble on the seashore at dinner mr trevenard appeared but although he was surprised to see maurice so soon after his departure he evinced no curiosity as to the motive of his return the master of barsal farm seemed to have lost all interest in life in losing the partner of his joys and cares he went about his work with a mechanical air talked very little drank more than he ate and seemed altogether in a bad way maurice observed him with concern if we could but kindle a glimmer of reason in his daughter's breast she might be a comfort to him in the decline of his life speculated the poet and it is just possible that a father's love might exercise some healing influence upon that disordered mind the isolation to which her mother condemned her was the surest method of deadening mind and memory he would have given much had he been free to summon justina to borsal and test the power of a daughter's love upon muriel's brain but to bring justina away from london would be to imperil the prosperity of the albert theatre and doubtless to incur onerous legal penalties nor did he wish to draw justina into the business till his chain of evidence was too complete for the possibility of failure in the establishment of her rights no he told himself for some time to come i must act without justina martin could talk of nothing but his newly discovered niece and was full of impatience to see her it was only by promising to take him to london in a few days and introduce him to justina that maurice succeeded in keeping this young man quiet during his first day at borsalend and thus the day wore itself out and night with the full autumn moonlight descended upon the old farmhouse twenty one stabbed through the heart's affections to the heart it was a clear autumn night still and cloudless the mists of evening had rolled away from moorland and meadow from the dark brown fields where the plough had been busy and the long line of rippling water the moon was as bright and full as on that first night of maurice clessel's sojourn at borsal he had been told that on such a night as this muriel was wont to be restless now if that poor ghost of days departed will but haunt my room to-night i may gather some shred of information from her disjointed talk he said to himself but the night wore away while he lay awake and watchful and there was no sound of slippered footfall in the corridor no opening of the creaking old door mr clissold fell asleep at last when the moon had vanished and did not wake till ever so long after the borsal and breakfast hour this was disappointing but he waited another day and watched another night with the same result if she doesn't come to-night i give it up he said to himself after all there can be but little for me to gather from her rambling self-communion he slept for an hour or two on the third afternoon and thus on the third night of his watch was more wakeful than before the nights were moonlight still but the moon rose later and had lost her full brightness he lay awake for three hours on this particular night and heard not a sound save the occasional scufflings patterings and squealings of mice behind the wainscot but a few minutes after the eight-day clock in the hall had struck two the watcher heard the sound that had startled him at his first coming the slipshod footfall the slow ghost-like tread on the uncarpeted floor of the corridor muriel was approaching she entered slowly quietly as before and went straight to the window which she opened noiselessly taking infinite pains to avoid all sound 
then kneeling on the window-seat she put her head out of the window and looked downward as if she were watching someone below be careful love she exclaimed in a whisper just loud enough to reach maurice's attentive ear that root of ivy is loose i'm afraid your foot will slip be careful for some time she remained thus holding imaginary communion with someone below then all at once she awoke to a sense of her solitude and knew that she had been talking to a phantom she drew back into the room and began to walk up and down rapidly with a distracted air her hands clasped upon her head as if by that pressure upon her temples she would have stilled the trouble within her brain they told me he was dead she said to herself murdered barbarously murdered but there was no truth in it they have told me other lies as well as that they are all false all cruel my mother has made them so she has taken away my husband she has taken away my child she has left me nothing but memory why did she not take that away i should be happy yes quite happy sitting by the fire and singing all day long or roaming about among the hazel bushes and the old apple trees in the wilderness if i did not remember but i look down at my arms and remember that my blessed child ought to be lying in them and then i hate her yes i hate the mother that bore me all this was said in disjointed gushes of quick eager speech divided by intervals of silence suddenly she burst into a shrill laugh who says he is dead she cried don't i see him every moonlight night when i can come here they shut me up mostly lock all their doors and keep me prisoner cruel 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 but he is standing under the window all the same whenever the moon shines he is there waiting for me to open my window like romeo yes that's what he said like romeo then with an entire change of tone a change to deepest tenderness mingled with a remorseful fear she went on as if speaking to her lover love it was very wrong of us to break our promise i fear that harm will come of it my mind is full of fear after this came a long silence she went back to the window knelt upon the broad wooden seat laid her head upon the sill and remained motionless speechless maurice fancied she was weeping this continued for nearly an hour then with a sudden movement all her movements were sudden she started up and looked about the room as if in quest of something maurice had left his extinguished candle on the dressing-table with a box of matches in the candlestick quick as thought muriel seized the box struck a match and lighted the candle and then hurried from the room the watcher sprang from the bed where he had been lying hidden by the shadow of the curtains and followed that retiring figure full of apprehension a confirmed lunatic rushing about an old timber house with a lighted candle was not the safest of people and maurice held himself responsible for any harm that might happen in consequence of muriel's liberty when he emerged from his room the corridor was empty but the gleam of the candle in the distance guided his hurried steps at the end of the corridor there was a winding stair a stair which he had never ascended but which he understood to lead to certain disused garrets in the roof it was from this narrow stair that the light came and hither maurice hastened he was just in time to see the edge of muriel's white drapery flutter for an instant on the topmost stair before it vanished and the light with it he rushed up the stairs knocking his head against a heavy cross-beam in the course of his swift ascent and almost stunning himself but even that blow did not make him pause 
he staggered on to the last step and found himself in a kind of cavern which in the dim light of the waning moon looked to him like the hold of a ship turned upside down ponderous beams crossed each other in every direction the faint moonshine streamed through a broken skylight cobwebs and dust hung all around and in one corner of this deserted loft a few articles of furniture were crowded together shrouded from the dust by some old patchwork coverlets even this loft had doubtless been kept in good order so long as that vigilant housewife bridget trevenard had been able to attend to her domestic duties muriel was kneeling near this shrouded heap of discarded furniture kneeling by an old-fashioned basket-work cradle she held the candlestick in one hand and seemed to be searching for something in the cradle with the other hand her head was bent her brow contracted and she was muttering to herself as she groped among the tumbled blankets and discoloured linen which had once been the warm nest of some idolised infant her own nest most likely maurice stopped short to startle her in such a moment might be dangerous better for him to hold his peace and keep a watch upon her movements ready to push to the rescue should there be peril presently she seemed to have found what she wanted it was a letter in a sealed envelope which she looked at and kissed but made no attempt to open she replaced this presently in the cradle and took out more letters two or three together open and these she kissed looking long and fixedly at the written lines as if she were trying to read them but could not my love my love she murmured your own true words nothing but death could part us death has parted us yes death they told me you were dead and yet that can't be true the dead are spirits if you were dead you would hover near me i should see your blessed shade i should her eyes wandering slowly from the letter penetrated that dusky corner where maurice stood watching her she saw him gave one long wild shriek and sprang towards him to her excited imagination that dark and silent form seemed the ghost of her dead lover she had thrown the candlestick from her as she sprang to her feet the candle rolled from its socket and fell upon her long nightdress a moment and she stood before maurice's affrighted sight a pillar of flame he flew to her clasped her in his arms and trampled on the candle dragged one of the loose coverings from the furniture and rolled her in it tightly firmly extinguishing the flames in his vigorous grasp the peril the horror had been but momentary yet he feared the shock might be fatal the frail form shivered in his arms the tender flesh had been scorched even in that moment of terror she still believed him to be her lover not a spirit she murmured not the shadow of the dead but living and return to me to rescue to cherish oh george is it really you it was the first time he had heard her utter george penwin's name it is one who will protect and cherish you maurice said tenderly one whom you may trust and cling to in all confidence one who will restore your daughter to you my daughter my baby girl she cried no you can never do that on earth in heaven we shall meet again perhaps and know each other but never in this life she was taken away from me and they murdered her no she was given into safe hands she was loved and cared for years have passed since then and she has grown up into a beautiful young woman you shall see her again live with her and she will love and honour you i don't want her i want my lovely baby the little child they took away from me the baby that lay in my arms and clung to my breast for one short hour before it was taken away 
she shuddered and a faint moan broke from her lips you are in pain said maurice yes the fire is burning still it scorches me to the heart he took her up in his arms with infinite tenderness and carried her across the loft and down the narrow stair making his way amidst those massive cross-beams and by those steep steps with extreme caution lighted only by the pale glimmer of a fading moon once at the bottom of the stairs and in the broad corridor his way was easy enough he carried his light burden through the silent house across the empty hall to old mrs trevenard's room here he laid her gently on the sofa before awaking the blind grandmother he found a candle on the table and a match-box on the mantelpiece and was soon provided with a light his first look was at muriel she had fainted and lay motionless where he had placed her white and death-like he went to mrs trevenard's bedside and woke her gently dear mrs trevenard there has been an accident your granddaughter is hurt not seriously i trust but the shock has made her faint will you give her some kind of restorative while i go and call the servants he left the room for this purpose hurried to the end of the house where he had been told the servants slept in a room over the kitchen knocked at the door of this room and told one of the girls to get up and dress herself as fast as she could and come to mrs trevenard's room without a moment's loss of time this done he hastened back to muriel and found the blind grandmother administering to her holding a glass containing some cordial of her own concoction to the white lips of the sufferer why did you persuade me to leave my door open exclaimed mrs trevenard reproachfully see what harm has come of it not much harm i trust in providence there has been a shock but i hope no real injury what was it did she fall no it was worse than a fall he told how the flame had caught muriel's thin night-gear and how rapidly it had been extinguished if you will tell me where to find your doctor i will saddle one of the farm horses and ride over to fetch him however far it may be said maurice you ride cried mrs trevenard contemptuously and how are you to find your way from here to seacombe before daybreak i am not afraid i have driven the road often with martin let martin go he has known the way from childhood this seemed a reasonable suggestion and maurice hurried off to wake martin just as phoebe the housemaid arrived on the scene sleepy but sympathetic she had expected to find old mrs trevenard ill in fact had made up her mind that the old lady had had a stroke and was at her last gasp she was therefore surprised to find the blind woman keen and active only needing the aid of someone with eyes to carry out her instructions maurice was not sorry to remain on the spot while martin went for the doctor feeling that coolness and nerve might be needful martin was up and dressed in the briefest possible space of time and ran out to the stables to saddle the useful hack which was kept for the dog-cart day was beginning to show faint and pale in the east as he galloped away by the road that led to seacombe the same road by which matthew elgood and his wife had gone in the chill march morning twenty years before with muriel's child in their custody maurice walked up and down the hall listening for any sound from that inner room and in half an hour had the satisfaction of hearing that she was sleeping tranquilly and that she had been very little burned thank god he ejaculated fervently if this accident had been fatal i should have deemed myself her murderer at seven o'clock the doctor arrived an old man with a wise kind face he had assisted at muriel's birth and had been in some measure familiar with the various stages of her life though never entrusted with her fatal family secret he made light of the accident 
a shock to the system undoubtedly he said but i trust not involving any danger indeed i am not without hope that it may have a beneficial effect in subduing that restlessness which mrs trevenard tells me is the worst feature of the case anything which would induce repose would be favourable and by and by perhaps change of air and scene a total change of surroundings might do good in weaning the mind from old impressions introducing if i may say so a new colour into the patient's life i have often suggested this to our worthy friend the late mrs trevenard but without effect she had her prejudices good soul and she thought her daughter could only be properly cared for at home and do you think your patient might soon be moved asked maurice who had a scheme for bringing mother and daughter together well not immediately under present circumstances rest is most to be desired but when strength returns i feel assured that change would be advantageous when he had heard all the doctor had to say and eaten a hasty breakfast maurice went quietly upstairs and having reconnoitred the corridor and assured himself that there was nobody about to watch his movements ascended that upper staircase leading to the loft it was broad daylight now in that chaotic cavern formed by the roof of the old house the sunshine streamed in through the broken skylight revealing every cobweb which festooned the old oak rafters maurice stepped cautiously across the creaking timbers which roughly floored the chamber and approached the pile of disused furniture in front of which stood the little wicker cradle where muriel had hidden her letters were they actual letters maurice wondered or only scraps of worthless paper which her distraught fancy had invested with meaning and importance had she hidden her lover's letters here in the days when her mind was bright and clear or had she strayed hither in the cunning of madness to secrete the maniac's treasures of straws and shreds and discarded scraps of paper he knelt beside the cradle as she had knelt and turned out the little sheets and blankets the small down pillows yes there were letters under the mattress a small packet of letters written in rusty ink on discoloured paper tied with a faded ribbon these may be worth something in the way of evidence he said to himself he read them one after another as he knelt there they told the old story of deathless love doomed to die of bright hopes never to blossom into reality they all began my beloved wife and they were all signed your devoted husband george penwin they were all addressed on the cover which was an integral part of each letter miss muriel trevenard borcelend near seacombe there could be no doubt as to the identity of the person to whom the letters had been written there could be no doubt as to the writer's recognition of that person as his lawful wife my muriel my darling wife occurred many times in the letters nor was this all in these letters written in all love and confidence george penwin made frequent allusion to the motives which had led to his secret marriage his whole mind was here laid bare his hope of the squire's relenting in time to come his plans for the future his intention to declare his marriage at any hazard immediately upon his return to england his willingness to face poverty if need were with muriel but i am not without the hope he wrote in one of the later letters that my absence from england for two or three years will have a good effect upon my father's feelings towards me he is sore now on account of my having neglected what he was pleased to consider a grand opportunity of enlarging and consolidating the penwin estate but i know that in his heart he loves me best of all his sons and that it would lacerate that heart to disinherit me time will blunt the edge of his angry feelings and when i come back 
perhaps with some little distinction as a soldier he will be inclined to look leniently upon my choice in another letter he hinted at the possible arising of circumstances which would oblige muriel to leave her home i could not go away without being assured that you have a friend and counsellor ready to aid you in any difficulty he wrote i have a staunch friend in mr tomlin the lawyer of seacombe and i herewith enclose a letter which i have written to him informing him of our marriage and enlisting his sympathy and assistance for you should you need them he will do all that friendship and discretion can inspire both to secure your comfort and happiness your safety and respectability of surroundings under all circumstances and also to assure the preservation of our secret give your mind no trouble darling whatever may happen but trust implicitly in mr tomlin's wisdom and kindness and believe that distant as i may be in the body there is no hour of the day or night in which i am not near you in the spirit the letter addressed to william tomlin esq solicitor seacombe was here the seal unbroken maurice had no doubt that the possible difficulty foreseen by the young husband before he left england was the difficulty which had actually arisen in the birth of justina but why had this letter been left undelivered how came it that this unhappy wife finding herself in the most miserable position a woman could be placed in her honour doubted even by her own mother should have refrained from applying to the friend and adviser to whom her husband had recommended her and to whose allegiance he had confided her future had she deliberately chosen to endure unmerited disgrace in her own home rather than avail herself of mr tomlin's aid or had her brain already begun to fail at the time when her trouble fell upon her rendering her incapable of taking the most obvious as well as the most rational course this question sorely puzzled maurice and was for the time unanswerable he put the letters in his breast pocket feeling that with this documentary evidence to strengthen justina's case there must be little doubt as to the issue the only question open to dispute in the face of the marriage register and of those letters would be the identity of justina he went downstairs and out of the house and took a long ramble across the upland fields with the atlantic before him his favourite walk at all times these bleak fields of turnip or mangold high above the roaring waves and wild romantic coast with its jagged peaks and natural arches and obelisks of serpentine there were a family of cormorants disporting themselves among the rocks one solitary herring boat bobbing up and down in the distance a man shovelling up seaweed into a cart on the beach and this save for the flash of a seagull's silver wing now and then was all the life visible from the turnip field on the cliff here martin came presently refreshed by a couple of hours sleep after his long ride i thought i should find you here he said when i missed you in the house poor muriel is going on very comfortably i was with her just now when she awoke she knew me for a wonder and was more gentle than i have found her for a long time but the shock seems to have weakened her very much one could hardly expect it could be otherwise a few days rest will restore her i trust believe me martin no one could be more anxious about her than i i am sure of that dear fellow and now answer me a question did you ever hear the name of tomlin yes there is a solicitor of that name at seacombe an old man no middle-aged at most i should think him barely forty then he is not the man i want he had a father before him i suppose yes old mr tomlin was a wonderful fellow i believe universally respected i never saw him to my knowledge for he died when i was a youngster but i have often heard my father talk of him 
half an hour afterwards when they were seated at the farmer's early dinner maurice took occasion to question michael trevenard on the same subject old mr tomlin said the farmer yes i remember him well though he never did any business for me a very worthy man everybody liked him a lawyer in a thousand a thoroughly honest man he died suddenly poor fellow left his house one morning in excellent health to attend the petty sessions and was seized with a stroke of apoplexy in the court and never spoke again his funeral was one of the grandest i ever saw in seacombe do you happen to remember the year of his death yes i remember it well for it occurred in the winter before muriel's long illness he died in december eighteen forty seven this explained muriel's conduct death had snatched away the one friend to whom she could have made her appeal End of volume two chapters twenty and twenty one